0: Hi everybody, Jimmy DeYoung, welcome to Prophecy Today. I need 90 minutes if you can give it to me. I'm going to give you the world. We'll be talking with a broadcast partner in Israel and also in Ethiopia. We'll get a report from Ethiopia and what's going on in that location, especially as it relates to Bible prophecy, the scenario that's found in God's prophetic word. I want you to know we're here in Temporary Studios in Canton, Ohio. We're in this area for a couple of Sundays. We'll be at the Friendship Bible Church in Randolph, Ohio. There Bill Johnson is the pastor. Invite you to come on Sunday morning, one service only. In the summertime, they only have the one. It's at 9.30. I'll be teaching the prophetic word of God, then 6.30 on Sunday evening with a prophecy Q&A an hour before that, and then on Monday and Tuesday at 6.30 as well with prophecy Q&A at those two days sessions as well. That's the Friendship Bible Church, Randolph, Ohio. Come study the prophetic word of God with us. Well, we have a lot of interesting people to talk to in our broadcast partners. Winky Madad's standing by. He's going to report on the U.S. ambassador to Israel, making the statement that he wants the temple in Jerusalem to be built this year. That's very interesting. And then we'll go to Romania. Our son, Jim Jr., is there teaching for a two-week period of time, and he's teaching teenagers how to take back the nation of Romania. That's what happened when the communists took it over. They used young people to do that. Jimmy's teaching young people how to take back the country for Jesus Christ. Don't want to miss those conversations. But right now, we're going to the Washington, D.C. area. Colonel Bob McGinnis, who works at the Pentagon, he's a man involved in strategic planning with the military of the United States, but he's an author of books. And Bob, I hear you have a brand new one just published, Progressive Evil. Give us a quick little resume of it, and how can they get it?
1: Well, as most people that watch television uh, Jimmy know that there are a lot of progressives out there and uh, they may not understand the history of progressives in this country. They've done some pretty serious damage, but they've also done some good. The latest crop, it appears as if there's 20 something uh, people running for the presidency that self-identify mostly as progressives. Now they have a very clear agenda for the future of this country. And it's not one that most Christians will share. So I would invite your listeners to just go on Amazon, order the book. They'll find out a lot about the civics and the history of this country, and, of course, a lot of what these people have in mind for our future.
0: Bob, you supposedly have kind of semi-retired. I don't think that's the case. You're working at the Pentagon on a daily basis. You'll be speaking at the War College next week. You're writing books. Man, I'm excited if that's what it's going to be like when I try to retire. You're busier today than you seem you've ever been in the past. Now, Bob, on Friday, I was on a national talk program, had a call in, asked me what I knew about the Russian submarine uh, that had some problems, a fire on the submarine. Somebody alluded to the fact that the United States might have been involved. Is there anything you can tell us about that?
1: Yeah, I read about that, Jimmy. I don't have any firsthand knowledge. Uh, It was a submersible of some type, and there apparently were some experiments that were being done. Uh, It's a tragic situation where uh, evidently there were some life lost. Uh, But what we do know is that the Russians are very much involved in research and development of sophisticated uh, weaponry, much as the Chinese and the United States. We do have a new arms war underway, and it's a frightening one.
0: Well, I followed through because I told the listener that I would follow through. I was talking to somebody who may know the answer to the question. We found out you basically gave me the answer that I gave to him already. Well, the Iranians are putting out word, prepare to die. They're focusing that on the United States. Iran's saying that they have a secret weapon that they are going to use in a surprise attack. What do you know about that?
1: You know, I've certainly read about that. Uh, I think it's uh, mostly bluster. Uh, the Iranians uh, are very good at psychological manipulation, uh, and they brag about things that uh, are, exist only in their uh, tainted minds. So uh, I don't know that there's anything particular. They, they certainly have some good technology. They have a lot of very bright people. Uh, they do have rockets and missiles. Um, And of course, uh, we believe that they had a nascent nuclear program that evidently is being unleashed at this point, and we'll see how far it's allowed to go.
0: Well, and they are indeed doing more enrichment of uranium. In fact, they have passed what was supposed to be the stopping point in that Iranian nuclear deal that Obama came forth with, looks like they're getting serious about trying to get a nuclear weapon of mass destruction, doesn't it?
1: Well, it certainly does. You know, they reached or will have reached by, I think, this weekend, two significant barriers. One, how much enriched uranium up to 3.65 or 67% they can have, which is about 660 pounds. They've exceeded that. And uh, their foreign minister indicates that they'll begin to enrich past that barrier this weekend, if the Europeans that are part of the JCPOA, the nuclear deal of 2015, if they don't come and provide some relief. Because after all, since May of 2018, the United States under the leadership of President Trump pulled out of that deal and started to impose economic sanctions, which has brought most of the Iranian economy to its knees. And as a result, they become very desperate. And so they've started to do all the things that you're reading on the front pages, whether it's going after oil tankers or pipelines or airports in Saudi Arabia or U.S. service members serving in such places as Tikrit or in Baghdad or our oil people down in Basra.
0: Well, the fact is that uh, Israel is really much concerned about this advancement in enrichment of uranium as they move towards a weapon of mass destruction. I was in a news conference not long ago with Benjamin Netanyahu, Prime Minister of Israel. I asked him what if he found out that they were ready to put a nuclear warhead on one of those Shahab-3 missiles and fire it at Israel, basically at any target in Israel. He said they would do a preemptive strike. Now, there is word coming out of Iran that if America was to fire on Iran, on the land itself, on that nation... Uh, that uh, within one half hour, they'd wipe Israel off the face of the earth. Again, is that braggadocious, or are they ready to do that, and uh, you think the United States and Israel would return an attack?
1: Well, Mr. Netanyahu knows from what the Mossad captured over a year ago in Tehran that uh, they certainly have all the elements the information to put together a nuclear warhead. The question is whether or not they've actually done that, Uh, and he probably would know better than others. I seriously doubt that they have uh, the mechanism in place. They certainly haven't tested it. They have all the ingredients. It's a matter of how reliable any system that they might put together might be. I think that's more boasting, but... Yeah, I don't want to trust them to do anything uh, right. So we have to be very cautious about speculating uh, about the intentions of the Grand Ayatollah and the IRGC.
0: You know, it's also very interesting at the same time you have Russia, Iran, and Turkey getting together. Now, supposedly they're talking about what's going on in Syria, but this looks like a trilateral meeting to determine how they're going to divvy up the Middle East and what they're going to do out there, and at the same time, Turkey offering to mediate between the United States and Iran. What are your thoughts on this activity?
1: Erdogan is an interesting character. Of course, his party just lost a local election, so he may be somewhat in political uh, turmoil. But his relationship with Vladimir Putin is good, and also with Rouhani, the president of Iran, Anything is possible. Uh, I know that President Sisi of Egypt uh, said to a friend of mine a couple years ago that Erdogan has ambitions to reestablish the caliphate and to be the caliph. Uh, I don't doubt that. It may be that politically he's in trouble today. And, of course, uh, the Russians would like to maneuver and use him uh, as a conduit to get a firmer grasp in the Middle East, after all, Russia has... They yeah, two facilities, an Air Force Base in Damascus and Tarsus. They have a naval facility, and they're beginning to build up their own capability in the region. They're even meeting with the Israelis, interestingly, to a large degree, because of all the Russian immigrants that live in Israel. But Iran, of course, would manipulate that relationship, whether it's to acquire better technology, because after all, the Iranian reactors were built... Uh, by technology or, uh, and the you know, manpower of Russians. And so they're well-equipped, I believe, with all the ingredients that they would need to have a nuclear program. And our concern, obviously, has to be whether or not uh, if Iran moves forward, that certainly Saudi Arabia, uh, believing that their relationship with Pakistan, which is a known nuclear power, uh, would in fact uh, equip them uh, with a counter-system system. These are disturbing issues, something that we have to watch closely.
0: Yeah, and at the same time, in light of what you've just told us, Russia offering Iran the opportunity to get their advanced S 400 air defense system, and they are going to continue to keep that position, that role that Russia is making themselves be involved with in the Middle East effective as they continue on, which is. I believe, a part of the prophetic scenario found in God's Word for Russia and the other players that we're talking about. Bob, thank you so very much for being available. That book is entitled Progressive Evil, and it's out now at Amazon.com. You can get that. Appreciate you taking the moment to be with us, Bob. Thank you for the update. We'll talk again soon. Thank you, Jimmy. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we've got a Middle East news update. David Dolan standing by. It's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today.
2: Every believer needs to understand Bible prophecy. Whether you're a novice or a student, we are here to help you. Just visit prophecytoday.com and click on the link for the Prophecy Bookstore. There you will find a large selection of CD sets, DVDs, and books for the Bible Prophecy Student written by Dr. Jimmy DeYoung and other prominent scholars. While you're there, be sure to check out Dr. DeYoung's latest series called Presidents, Politics, and Prophecy. This series examines how God has used human leaders in general, and specifically the last seven U.S. presidents, to set the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. This was shot on location in Washington, D.C., and is available on DVD or as a 10-hour audio series on CD. Be sure to check back often for special deals. You can visit prophecytoday.com and click on Bookstore, or you can go directly to prophecybookstore.com.
0: Welcome back to Prophecy Today. Jimmy DeYoung here in Temporary Studios. I'm in the area of Canton, Akron, Ohio. We're speaking at a couple of locations near here, so we've based our broadcast operation right here, Temporary Studios, talking with our broadcast partners about activities happening around the world. Let me just remind you that we're going to be at the Friendship Bible Church it's one of those suburbs here of Canton, Akron. That's at Randolph, Ohio. Bill Johnson is the pastor there at the church. We're going to have two services on Sunday, and then on Monday and Tuesday, we'll have services teaching the prophetic word of God at 630 on each of those services. That's the Friendship Bible Church, Randolph, Ohio. Come study with us Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday. Well, as promised, David Dolan's standing by to give us his Middle East news update. And David, the Iranians making a very tough statement. They're saying that Israel will be destroyed in a half hour after the United States attacks Iran. Now, that's a pretty tough threat. What are your thoughts and what's Israel thinking?
3: Well, they could only do that, Jimmy, if they already possess nuclear weapons. And the Israelis, as I've uh, stated several times on your program over the past couple of years, they fear that maybe Iran does already have some clandestine nuclear weapons that they either got from Pakistan, bought on the black market, maybe some former Soviet weapons that were converted and upgraded. There's that possibility. And even that they have them in Lebanon, we had a statement several years ago from a Hezbollah leader that they were preparing to make Israel glow in the next major war, which indicated to many uh, reference to nuclear weapons. So we just don't know. But apart from that, they certainly could not do that. They, however, with uh, conventional missile strikes, as we've been talking about, they could do an enormous amount of damage in a fairly short period of time, and the Israelis are aware of that. Uh, the bellicosity just keeps coming, Jimmy, uh, from the Iranians. We had the threat yesterday from uh, the former Revolutionary Guards leader, Moshin rezai that uh, they would seize a British ship in exchange for the British. And Gibraltar officials seizing an Iranian oil tanker that had gone all the way around the southern part of Africa to avoid being detected by the Americans, but the Americans were following the ship the whole way when they tried to come into the Mediterranean Sea from the Atlantic. It was seized, and now the Iranians are saying they're going to do the same. Well, that would be an act of war. It was carrying, Jimmy, oil for Syria. It wasn't uh, intercepted because the Brits were trying to, uh, you know, do anything about the U.S. sanctions on Iran. It was against Syria. There are sanctions against Syria for Oh, a number of years now the Europeans have placed after the war began there in 2011, and that was why it was seized. But the Iranians are livid, and the whole situation is very, very tense.
0: Talk to me, David. And in the past, you and I have discussed the possibility of a preemptive strike by Israel on the Iranian nuclear operation that is underway, trying to develop that nuclear weapon of mass destruction. Now with the Statement by the Iranians, they are producing more enriched uranium than they are allowed to, according to the Iranian nuclear deal. Could Israel actually make a preemptive strike on Iran before they even would be attacked by the United States?
3: Well, it's possible, Jimmy, but the evidence that the U.S. and Israel are working extremely closely on this issue has been growing uh, for quite a few months now. Mike Pompeo's been over. John Bolton, of course, was just in Jerusalem. Both of them have been very clear on the U.S. position on Iran and that these violations, these attacks on tankers, the other things they've been doing are unacceptable, that these are acts of war. The Saudis are on board. The other Arab countries that attended the peace conference last week in Bahrain are pretty much on board. So the Israelis really don't need to do anything alone, Jimmy. They would act in concert with their other allies. But the chance that that is going to happen seems very, very high right now. Hard to see how this is going to de-escalate without some uh, more violence, at least. And the Israelis are as prepared as they can be for that. And, Jimmy, we had a remarkable disclosure this week at an awards ceremony in Tel Aviv where the Mossad agents that actually went into Tehran, near Tehran, and went into the secret uh, nuclear facility uh, it wasn't so secret. The Israelis knew about it and seized all those documents. The Iranians better think twice or even thrice before they launch anything against Israel. But that's the more likely scenario, Jimmy, that a war will begin elsewhere and Israel will be quickly dragged in by Hezbollah and Hamas and other allies of Iran. But of course, as I said, the Israelis are ready to do that or to preempt, as you suggested, if they felt that was absolutely necessary but that's not their first choice.
0: David, as I observe the Middle East, and you're the expert on this area of the world, I continually see Russia playing a key role. Now they're offering Iran the S-400 air defense weapons, and uh, Russia saying that Israel should not be striking Syria, which they did this last week. They're saying that's going to cause instability in the region. Russia is still a major player there in that part of the world, aren't they?
3: Oh, absolutely. They've become a very central player in the past five, six years, ever since they sent their forces to Syria to bolster the uh, Assad regime, which they've done. But the fighting in the northwest of Syria in Idlib province, Jimmy, is extremely intense. The Turks are worried about that, but nevertheless, they've agreed to host another meeting with Iran and Russia, participating that they will be a third party of. So the Alliance between Russia and Turkey continues to grow, and they, by the way, started loading S-400 rockets for anti-missile rocket systems uh, for Turkey on uh, Thursday, I think it was this week. Those are being shipped to Turkey against U.S. protests. So it's a very, very delicate situation, Jimmy, but Russia's right in the center of it. And, of course, you and I know the prophecies that this would take place. But we see the evidence on the ground that this is happening, and it's not a good sign. The Israelis are just hoping and praying that Russia will at least stay neutral in any conflict that involves them, but uh, that doesn't seem likely now. They seem to be siding very strongly with Iran
0: and with Syria. Thus far, David, we've been talking about external enemies and the concern that the Israelis have about an attack from them. Talk to me about what the prime minister said this week. He says the Israeli Defense Force preparing for a Gaza military uh, situation there with the Hamas there in the Gaza Strip. What do we know?
3: Well, we know that Hamas is still very much there, very much in control, and uh, Iran continuing to arm them, fund them and the Islamic Jihad group also in Gaza as well. Yes, the uh, expectation that Hamas will be involved, and that Gaza will be another front is very high. The Israelis are preparing for a multiple front war, really, because we talk about fronts, that means soldiers go to a certain place and the other side soldiers are there and they fight each other in that zone. But really, in modern warfare, the front is everywhere because rockets and missiles, can come from any direction. We now see that Iraq is becoming another major player in the anti-Israel scene because the Shiite militias that are allied with Iran there are also receiving heavy amounts of rocketry that they can fire in Israel's direction. So Israel's looking to the north, to the northeast, to the east, and to the south. And in all of those directions, there could be attacks. And, of course, one more to the west in the Mediterranean Sea, where that uh, tanker, the Iranian tanker, was seized at the entrance to it, the Gibraltar entrance. And uh, from there, the Syrians, the Russians, and others have capabilities. Even the Iranians have some submarines. So in all directions and from the sky above, (laughs) and, of course, internally, as we've talked about as well, many of the Palestinians, not only in Gaza, Jimmy, but in Judea and Samaria and Jerusalem, would likely rise up and join in any external action coming against Israel. So the Israelis are preparing for what many are saying will be their worst war ever. And I could only uh, say these words if I ask your listeners to pray like never before, because the nation of Israel is very much endangered today. The United States is as well. I think the Iranians will respond to any offensive involving the United States with attacks in America, too, so on, on its forces around the world. So, And Iran has other allies, Jimmy, North Korea and others are also on their side, and China continues to get its oil from Iran, a good portion of its oil from Iran, and that relationship is deeper than we might like as well. So lots going on in the international state, Israel right at the center of it, and, of course, that's what the good book said would be the case in the last days.
0: Absolutely. And David giving us a political report, his Middle East News Update, which sounds like he's reading from the Bible. (laughs) We know both of us study the Word of God. We understand what the prophetic scenario is, and David's information that he gives to us on this Middle East News Update helping us recognize the times in which we're living. David, thank you so very much for the report. We'll have another conversation next week. You're welcome, Jimmy. God bless We're going to take a break. When we come back, Wiki Madad is going to talk about a pulpery of activities, one of them being the United States ambassador to Israel saying he wants the temple built this year. Stand by for more on that information. It's all ahead right here on Prophecy
2: Today. How do you like your news? Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung.
0: We move into our second half-hour Ask You for 90 Minutes. Uh, this is the second portion of that 90 minutes. And we're going to be talking with Jim Jr. He's in Romania. He's there on a mission. We'll find out what that mission is momentarily. Keep the dial set right here. John Rood has a European Union update as well. But right now, we are going to go to Winky Madad, and we're going to be talking about several situations, a potpourri of items to discuss with Winky. Winky, I was reading earlier this week that the Palestinians are trying to get facts on the ground. In other words, in the peace process, if there is such a thing still viable. They want to try to say that they control what they refer to as the West Bank. Of course, you and I know it as Judea and Samaria, and I understand that they are building homes in the area of Judea and Samaria. They're starting farms out there. They're trying to get facts on the ground in what has been referred to as Area C. I want to find out how dangerous Uh, this building by the Palestinians might be, but can you explain the term Area C?
4: Jimmy, as a result of the 1993 Oslo Accords, which of course have basically failed, but they have left on the ground, as you say, a division of Judea and Samaria into three sections, A, B, and C. A is basically the seven major Arab cities in the area, Uh, for example, Hebron, Ramallah, Jenin, Tulkaram, Jericho, and they have therein full security and municipal responsibility and obligations. In other words, Israel does not run the area, They collect taxes, they deal with whatever cities or municipal authorities deal with. Area B is the same as A in terms of the Palestinian Authority, what I would call civilian or civic control, uh, education, garbage, electricity, all the other features of running the country, except that there's a shared security uh, apparatus in place. Actually, in Area A, Israel reserves for itself the right to go in and arrest terrorists if necessary, but usually we try to cooperate much more with the Palestinian Authority in that area because legally they can walk around with guns and whatever. And Area C is basically where the Jewish communities, uh, about 150 or so, are located. That's their division of the area, with over 450,000 Jewish residents. That's basically A, B, and C and to round off that introduction, what the Arabs have been doing is building very, very close to Area C or in Area C because there are about fifty thousand Arabs in area C with the help of the EU and other people in order to make their presence felt. I'll be as fair as neutral as possible on that issue.
0: Well, that then does seem to be somewhat of a problem as far as the Jewish people are concerned and the Jewish communities out there in Area C, often referred to as the Jewish settlements. But is this a major force that is putting facts on the ground that will cause problems later on down the line?
4: Well, Jimmy, I presume a lot of our listeners, wherever they live, whether in the states or your worldwide broadcast locations, would say, so what's the big deal of people moving in? That's what people do. United States and Mexico and Canada and France. However, these people who are moving in are, A, demanding all the area should be theirs without real negotiations and without any sort of peace structures and elements and programs in place. And thirdly, uh, up until now, they've been very violent. I would even call them terrorists in terms of killing, shooting, Molotov cocktail, tossing incendiary kites if we go down to Gaza, but so it's not as if a peaceful element is moving into the area and therefore there we are very much concerned that their encroachment would negatively affect our ability to live a simple and peaceful life.
0: And that, of course, is the continuing conflict between the Israelis and the Palestinians. Well, I set ahead a potpourri of items, Winky. The Pilgrim's Road has just been displayed by the archaeological community, in the state of Israel, a road from the original site of the city of David, or Jerusalem, up towards the Temple Mount. Explain that for those who may have never been to Israel and uh, seen all the archaeological dig that's going on in this very unique place, the city of David.
4: Well, Jimmy, let's start from a backwards position. As some of our listeners have heard us in the past discuss issues of UNESCO and other international bodies who, A, refuse to recognize Israeli sovereignty in Jerusalem, the city, all of it. And secondly, engaging in what we call, in this part of the world, Jerusalem denial. In other words, we don't have a mythological history, Jimmy. We have a real history with steps, with pottery, with coins, with structures and rocks, hewn all sorts of elements that show that under the ground over which the Arabs built their homes is a huge proof of Jewish presence from over 2,000 years ago.
0: Bottom line, the Palestinians are basically trying to negate any factual history of the Jewish presence in that part of the world and thus they would say, then, well, the Jews have no right to this piece of real estate. That's, that's their bottom line, is it not?
4: Yes, Jimmy, that is the bottom line. And I think for those who are members of Twitter have been witnessing a, an exchange between Saib Eriqat, who is an official with the Palestinian Authority, And Jason Greenblatt, who is one of the president's personal envoys in the peace process, Jason Greenblatt has been very active on this, saying, first, we have to get the facts, the truth, and the history correct. You cannot build peace or security on some sort of myth or lie that you want to believe and therefore have the Jewish people at some sort of alien element in their own homeland, and that you have better rights than theirs. So we're not just talking about rocks and stones and and all sorts of other archaeological evidence that might be interesting for a museum. It has a very real relevance to the politics and to whether or not we're Bible-based in our approach to What was the history of this land, and what is the future of this land and people in it?
0: Yes, absolutely. That's where we want to go. The truth, the bottom line, should be the truth. Well, one more item before I let you go, Winky. Uh, The United States celebrated the 4th of July on the 2nd of July in Israel this last week. And at that meeting there at the U.S. Embassy in Jerusalem... The U.S. ambassador, David Friedman, made this statement this year in Jerusalem. And the understanding by those who really understand what he was saying is that he wants the temple. And he was calling for the temple, the Jewish temple to be built this year in Jerusalem. What do you know about that story?
4: Well, Jimmy, it might not surprise you, but I was present at the event. It was held, actually, at what we call in Hebrew Binyane HaUma the International Conference Center, which is at the entrance of Jerusalem, because there must have been about 800 people there, would have overrun the embassy compound. And he was echoing a very strong Jewish phrase. Uh, we say it at the end of the Passover Seder, that next year in Jerusalem... It could be interpreted as saying the Temple, but I think he was saying that very simple, Jerusalem is the capital of Israel because it is the capital of the Jewish people. That's where the Temple was and will be. That's where our sovereignty is and will be. And uh, actually, Jimmy, it's the first time in history that an American embassy in Jerusalem was the location for the Independence Day celebration of the United States. And so when Ambassador Friedman said next year in Jerusalem, I am in full agreement with him that next year, again, we should have the embassy event celebrating America's independence in the sovereign capital of the state of Israel. Maybe by then we might have a temple, maybe not, but I'm sure that whatever, we still will have an American embassy in Israel's capital, Jerusalem.
0: And in fact, there are many praying that this year or next year in Jerusalem, they want that temple to be put up as soon as possible. Winky, thank you so very much for this pulpery of items that you've helped us to deal with today. We so appreciate it, and may you have a great Sabbath. Thank you. We'll talk again real soon.
4: Jimmy, thank you very much for having me on, and goodbye to you and our listeners.
0: Very interesting conversation with Winky Madad, a potpourri of items dealing with the last one, the U.S. ambassador, who seems to have said he wants the temple built this year in Jerusalem. Still some controversy about that. We'll stay on top of that story. Now we're going to switch to the region of the world that is a very key element in the prophetic scenario found founding God's Word, the establishment of the revived Roman Empire, and we're talking about the European Union, which I believe is the infrastructure for that prophecy that is found in the book of Daniel chapter 7. The man we deal with on the issues out of the European Union, John Rood, he lived in Brussels, Belgium, for over 30 years, knows that area, knows what's going on. And John, let me open up with this. Coming out of the Middle East, Prime Minister Netanyahu of Israel is calling for the European Union to put sanctions on Iran because they are overproducing enriched uranium in preparations to develop a nuclear weapon of mass destruction. How's the EU reacting to the request from the Israeli Prime Minister?
5: Well, the request is totally in line, and it was actually a decision of the United Nations Security Council that if there was a breach of the commitments, that there would be automatic sanctions. So Prime Minister Netanyahu is calling on the European Union to do their duty for what was already previously decided. Iran has come out and said to European leaders that they have offered too little in trade assistance, and as you've mentioned, there has been the limit exceeded now of enriched uh, low-level fissionable material. It's been exceeded by 50 percent, which is quite significant. And so Iran is keeping to the pattern. The European Union is working to appease Iran and does not have much of a bite. And then Iran is focusing to intimidate, indeed, the European Union and the whole world with a type of nuclear blackmail to say how close they are to a nuclear weapon. And even the agreement, when it was in place, was designed to stop Iran from producing a weapon only from a period of about one year, from roughly two to three months, extended to a year. So it's a very, very serious situation here. Uh, we can't expect too much from the European Union, even to keep their decisions, take and approach much of appeasement.
0: Talk to me, the European Union, the European Parliament... All of those key positions are trying to be filled by the members of the European Union. States, they're doing this amid protest and discord. What's happening there at the European Parliament? I mean, you said it was normally a a simply sit-down, talking-type society. Are they getting up and anxious now?
5: (laughs) So much to think of in this area. The European Parliament, yes, is a glorified discussion group, but it's the crack in the wall of democracy in the European Union. And so it's the only place where the members are actually elected democratically. So now we have the situation that the European Parliament has reconvened after the recent elections, where one third of the Parliament has some type of Eurosceptical viewpoint. So now to uh, introduce the candidates for all of the new positions in Europe, the heads of state, which essentially are the European Council, they're not able to do the normal horse trading sessions that go on. And so it's been for three days. They couldn't really come to a conclusion. It almost appears that they uh, had submitted, in a sense, almost decoy candidates, knowing that some of the Eastern European countries would object, and indeed they did. So Poland, Hungary, Czech Republic, uh, Slovakia, and Italy actually were, was enough that the initial candidates could not go through. Now we've arrived at the candidates that are coming, Ursula von der Leyen for the European Commission president, She's a German defense minister. She was actually born in Brussels, had her first 13 years of schooling in Brussels. Then Charles Michel for the European Council president. He's the Belgian prime minister. This would be the second time that the person that has the position known as Mr. Europe would be from Belgium. Uh, And, of course, the European Union headquarters in Brussels. They're good facilitators. And then we have a Spanish representation for the high representative of foreign affairs. And then France has come in, Christine Lagarde, with the president of the European Central Bank. But the process of this is these choices are made by a system that's called qualified majority voting, and not all the votes are equal. So it's really astounding when people understand how undemocratic the process is. The heads of state are simply making a candidate, but the votes are not equal. I won't go through all the details of that, but it keeps the power in the hands of the larger states. Even when the candidates have been represented now and put forth, there still needs to be a vote in the European Parliament with an absolute majority. They need 376 Parliament members to vote for July uh, 15 to 18 session, and that's not a given. So there really could be, due to these last elections, a crisis where they will not be able to find the candidates that are fitting to a majority, and the result of that could be just more sort of wishy-washy general party-type things that continue while the European Union, these cracks and fissures, become more prominent.
0: And those prominent cracks and fissures are going to ultimately lead, as we read in the Bible, like a ten toes of iron and clay, not really working together, not molding together as they should, but ultimately becoming the revived Roman Empire. And that's why we look at the political, because it is setting stage for the prophetic to be fulfilled. John, a very important report you give us. Thank you so very much. We'll have this again next week.
5: Thank you. And there's nothing that approximates the iron and clay of the book of Daniel than today's European Union.
0: Very important conversation with John Rood. He keeps us up to date on what's going on in the European Union and quite a polygon as it relates to who is going to be in leadership for the commission, for the council, and for the parliament there in the European Union. We'll continue to have John come to this broadcast table with information. That's a key region of the world as you look at it prophetically with the revival of the Roman Empire. Well, we're going to have the privilege now of bringing Jim Jr., our oldest son, to this broadcast table. I've got to tell everybody, the man responsible for producing this program, and making his father sound like a professional, is our oldest son, Jim Jr. Does an excellent job of editing. He puts it all together for us. We get the broadcast partners from the different sections of the world. And then he produces the program that you listen to each and every week. But he's not just in the editing room. He's out there on the field. He's on the mission field as we speak to him right now. He's actually in Romania. And Jim, you're there to speak to an organization called LIFE, and for a very important ministry partner out there. I want you to explain that, and then I want to find out what you're doing in Romania. I think it's a thrilling theme that LIFE has for trying to reach its country. Who is LIFE? Who are you working with, and what's the purpose for being out there, Jim?
6: Uh, It's great to be with you, and thank you for all the kind words, Ed. Uh, I'm with Robert Mia is in Romanian, that is Camp Mia. The organization is Mia. We also have a Mia College that I'm a part of here with Julian Abramescu. Listeners might remember Julian is a young man that went to the Word of Life Bible Institute in Hungary, where you taught, and he went to Tennessee Temple and seminary in the United States. And then he came back to Romania to take over the country, just as, and his philosophy is, I love his philosophy, his philosophy is the same as the, the Communist Party did when they took over Romania uh, for communism. They used youth camps, and Julian is using youth camps and the youth of the country to take over the country for, for the Lord, and uh, he's having a great success. This is about my eighth year working with me at Romania, and we've had a great time teaching at Mia College, working in different conferences at churches, and also being at youth camp. And this last week, for the last two weeks, actually, I've been the pastor here. They call me the pastor at this camp, and we've been teaching here uh, Bible hours and, and interacting with the young people and the counselors, and it's been a great time.
0: Well, you're surely qualified to be a pastor. You meet all the requirements biblically to do that. You've got great experience. You're a teacher of the Word of God, and you have a heart for people. And that's so important to be a pastor. But I know that you're doing far more than that you're teaching. But what's exciting to me, I remember a couple of years back, we were involved in a thing that we called Israel Project, where you would uh, travel the country, go into Christian schools and colleges. You would recruit young people, their juniors and seniors in high school and the college students to go to Israel to try to win Jewish young people to Jesus Christ. Now, you're basically involved in the same thing, and you believe in that philosophy, and you've uh, put you know, feats to your statements because of the fact you've taken your two precious daughters— Uh, the two girls that uh, your mom and I really love and have helped support to get over to Romania, Haley and Abby, and you're training them up. It's key for these teenagers not only to be taught there in Romania, but from those in America, they ought to be going out to the mission field, Had they not?
3: They sure should,
6: Dad. You know, the interesting thing about going on a mission, you're really limited, although we're commanded to go forth and just yes, be faithful to present the gospel. But language barriers sometimes can, can be a hindrance. The biggest thing on a trip for a young person or anybody, really, that goes on a missions trip is how God works in their lives wherever they go, whether it be Romania or as we used to do in Israel, we would take young people to Israel. And God works a, in these young people's lives. They get uh, the fire inside of them as far as wanting to come back again and they make friends, and they they really expand their horizon to see how other people live in other countries.
0: Jim, do me a favor and uh, give our love to Haley and Abby and tell them that we're praying for them, and we're excited about the reports we're hearing from their ministry with those young people there in Romania. Now, As I understand it, Jim, your theme is evidence that demands a verdict. Boy, that's a great theme. And how are the young people there in Romania taking to that theme?
6: You know, our theme verse for the camps this summer comes from 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. Think that by the Lord God in your heart and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you a reason of the hope that is within you with meekness and fear. And so as we are teaching them, you know, a lot of these kids will come from churches, uh, from Romanian churches, so they have a background. A lot of them will come from Christian homes, but they've never been really challenged as to what they believe and, and how to put it to use. Also, at camp, we do have lots of kids that come here that have never heard the gospel or come from basically the Orthodox Church here in Romania. So from all walks of life, we're really giving the evidences that God indeed did send His Son to die for mankind, that He came on this earth, that the miracles that He did were truly miracles, that he lived in a place, in a real place in time and history, that he taught disciples, he handpicked them, he taught them. We have evidence of that. As a matter of fact, how God used 40 authors over 1,500 years to compile the inspired Word of God. And just going through that with the young people really helped them to understand the message that God has given. And then I also like the fact that as I'm here, one of the things that I did is I taught from the aspect of Really, the first question, or one of the questions that Jesus asked Peter when he said, Whom do men say that I am? And who do you say that I am? And that's the, the platform from which I jumped off. And, of course, we know that Peter recognized him as the Christ. And then Jesus gave some more information about taking up your cross, denying yourself. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? And those are all words, and it's interesting how Peter later on, after he even denied that he knew Jesus right before Christ went to the cross, Peter later on gave those very words about being ready to give a, uh, an account and a reason for that hope that's within you.
0: And I'm sure that evidence that demands a verdict is including Bible prophecy as well, since it's 30% of the Bible. These young people excited about understanding the prophetic truths of God's Word?
6: Oh, well... Laying before them about the race that they are running, we, we, we talk about that prize that we're running for, that reward, the judgment seat of Christ. We're talking about the great white throne judgment that is in the future, which taking this evidence back and doing nothing with it, they're affecting people around them for the rest of eternity if they don't tell others, if they don't evangelize, and that they should be busy about doing the Lord's work, about the commandment that he commanded his disciples to do, which transcends to us to spread that the gospel, the good news, the, the, the plan of salvation, and they should do it because the rapture can happen at any moment.
0: Jim, I'm excited about the ministry that God has given us at Prophecy Today, and you're the point man there in Romania with your two daughters, our granddaughters, and I'm just really thrilled that our ministry extends into the area of training young people up to carry on what we believe is the mission, to make sure people are prepared, living pure, and productive until the rapture does take place. So uh, praise the Lord for what you're doing, son. Appreciate it. Hey, God bless you, Jim. Thank you so much. We'll uh, talk to you as we have opportunity in the near future.
6: Thanks, Dad. It's been great to be with you this week. Lord bless you.
0: We're going to take a break, and when I come back, I've got David James, and we're going to talk about Ethiopia. He's in Ethiopia. Report from Ethiopia. It's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Hi everybody, Jimmy DeYoung. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. We move into our last half hour. Thank you so very much. And I'm anticipating that you'll give me this half hour to explain current events around the world in light of the prophetic scenario that's found in God's Word. Want to talk to you about the meeting? I'm going to be on Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday here in the Akron-Canton area, basically a suburb over in Randolph, Ohio. At the Friendship Bible Church, Bill Johnson, the pastor, inviting everybody to come and join us all day Sunday, and then Monday and Tuesday evening, Sunday morning, only one service, nine thirty, six thirty in the evening, and that'll be the time on Monday and Tuesday evening as well, in the evenings, Prophecy Q&A before the service. That's Friendship Bible Church over in Randolph, Ohio. Here's the poll question. Please go to my website, prophecytoday.com. On the home page on the left-hand column, if you scroll down, you'll have the question I would like for you to answer this week. The question, Iran continues to threaten Israel with total destruction. In fact, Iran says that if America attacks Iran, the Iranians will destroy Israel within a half an hour. Bible prophecy says that Iran will try to wipe Israel off the face of the earth. That's Ezekiel chapter 38 and verse 5. Do you believe that could happen in the near future? Now that's the poll question, if you will answer the question. And while you're at the website, if you want to find out about our tours to Israel, we go six or eight times a year. Love to have you go into the land of the Bible. It's the greatest classroom we could have to teach Bible prophecy. Go to my website, prophecytoday.com. Go to Joshua Travel for all the details, the dates that we're going to be going, the itinerary, the cost, everything you need to know to make a decision. That's Joshua Travel at my website, prophecytoday.com. We now bring to this microphone David James, David and I are involved in having a weekly conversation, and we focus on an issue that is so key to the body of Christ as they have their daily walk with Jesus Christ. And we're thrilled to be able to get a hold of David wherever he is. By the way, we catch David in Africa for the second time this year, and he is in a new country of ministry for him. David, tell us where you are and what you're doing, buddy.
5: That's right, Jimmy. I'm
7: in Ethiopia for the first time. I'm doing a conference for Word of Life, which is still a young ministry here, and so this conference is actually Word of Life's first event ever to be held in the country.
0: Well, that's a great ministry report that you're giving us, David. David, you know, Ethiopia is a very interesting country, and I think it would be great for you to share with our listeners some of the more interesting things about Ethiopia in general.
7: Sure. Well, Ethiopia makes up much of what is known as the Horn of Africa. It has a population of around 108 million people, which makes it the second most populous country in Africa, and it's the most populous landlocked country in the entire world. The capital of Addis Ababa has a population of about 2 million people, and that's where we're holding our conference. There are about 90 languages, Spoken in Ethiopia, if you can believe that, with amharic being the language of business and government and education, and it's the language that we're being translated into for the, those at the conference. Another interesting thing is that particular language is the second most spoken Semitic language in the world after Arabic, and of course Hebrew is Semitic as well. There's a small but significant number of Jews here in Ethiopia, and actually they claim to be one of the Lost Tribes of Israel, which you and I understand to be an incorrect term biblically, and they are known as Beta Israel or Second Israel. The religious breakdown is roughly 43% Ethiopian Orthodox. About a third of the country is Muslim, about a fifth of the country is Protestant, And about a fifth of the country is Protestant, and the majority of those are actually extreme charismatic. So really bad and false teaching is prevalent throughout the country. And in working with pastors here, talking with them, they say there is almost no good Bible teaching uh, in the country, so it's really important that we're here.
0: Yes, absolutely. I would agree with that, and the demographics that you've just given us help us to understand why it's so key. I would encourage our listeners to be praying for the conference that's taking place there in Addis Ababa, Ethiopia. I understand that there are a number of those in Ethiopia claiming to be Jews, and in fact, Judy and I, my wife and I, when we first got to Israel back in 1991, covered the return of the Ethiopian Jews to Israel itself, and we've had a lot of conversation about that over the years. David, I know that a new prime minister came to power a couple of years ago. And there have been some major changes in the country. Talk to us about those changes.
7: Well, this new prime minister is only 42 years old, and he took office in March of last year. And He's been working hard to make a lot of much-needed changes in the country. I actually first heard about him from an Ethiopian shuttle driver I had in Indianapolis a few months ago. And he's been in the United States for many years, and he had only positive things to say about this new prime minister and was actually excited about it. Another interesting thing is one of the pastors that we're working with and who has helped organize this with Word of Life actually has taught this prime minister in a theological school several years ago and says this prime minister is a born-again believer, even though his father is a Muslim. There are definitely some positive things that have happened. For example, this prime minister, one of the first things he did was end the long conflict with the neighboring country of Eritrea, and he's also released almost all the political prisoners that were held by the previous administration, which had tremendous corruption and suppression of any kind of opposition, and so there's much more freedom to speak out against the government as this prime minister tries to set things right. On the other hand, there's a lot of political infighting even within his own party as various people jockey for position, and this also extends to quite a bit of ongoing corruption at various levels of even his government.
0: You know, David, I understand that a couple of weeks ago, and I read about this in the media, there was a political assassination in the country, and this caused some concern about whether you could move forward with the conference there. What is the situation there now, and is it dangerous for you and the other guys to be there in country?
7: Well, that's a good question, and it did have us wondering before we came. So a couple of weeks ago, the chief of staff of the Ethiopian army was actually assassinated, as was a regional governor, and that governor was assassinated by one of his own bodyguards. And the government described the situation as a regional coup attempt, so it wasn't necessarily a national coup attempt. But there were even advisories coming out from the U.S. State Department for all personnel to fly back to the Capitol, not to drive back. And there was concerns about even movement within cap in the capital and telling people to shelter in place. So we were concerned that it might affect whether we were going to be able to actually hold the conference because there was a lot of confusion. Nobody was sure what, was, what it was going to lead to. And it was made even more difficult because Ethiopia has a history of cutting off the internet. And even cell phone service in the country in times of national crisis. And actually that's something that's done in quite a few different countries in Africa. And so the problem was made Worse because they shut the internet down. We couldn't contact people here. They couldn't contact us. And interestingly, it was made worse because it was exactly the same time that the schools across the country were having their final exams. And so during that week, the country shuts down, especially social media so that people can't use smartphones to cheat when they take the national exam. So it was kind of the perfect storm in trying to figure out what was going on. But just a few days before we were to leave, they turned the Internet back on, and we found out that things had calmed down and that it was safe, especially in the capital. But, you know, this is something that we just always have to keep an eye on when we're traveling internationally. And to be honest, especially being an American going into countries with high Muslim populations, it's something we do keep our eyes
0: on. And let that be a reminder to those listening in on this conversation to be pray for David. He travels to many foreign countries across the world teaching the Word of God, and in particular, focused on young people who are just establishing themselves in ministry. It's a key ministry that David has. You lift him up in prayer. Well, David, let's go back to the religious situation in the country for a moment. You mentioned that Islam makes up about a third of the country, that's the population we're talking about, and although the mainstream media is not reporting the extreme violence against Christians in parts of Africa, it is happening. What's the situation, David, there in Ethiopia?
7: Well, as you know, sometimes it's really difficult to get an accurate sense of what's happening in in countries like this. So on the one hand, a lot of violence, especially against Christians, is not recorded by the mainstream media, as you noted. Uh, On the other hand, sometimes when it is recorded, it's distorted and gets out of balance, and Americans can easily get the impression that international travel is more dangerous than it really is, at least in some places. Just for example, when I was in Israel in November, we were driving back to Tel Aviv from a lot in the south around sunset, and to the west we could see Hamas rockets being shot out of the sky by Israel's Iron Dome, but life was going on around us just as usual. So getting back to the situation with the Muslims and Christians here in Ethiopia, I also asked the same pastor... Uh, hear about the situation, and his perspective is that the situation is much different than in some places in Africa, and he said that the two groups actually live in peace for the most part, and the persecution and violence by Muslims against Christians is fairly rare and isolated. I also asked another pastor, who was my translator today, about the rise of radical Islamic extremists in the country, and he said the problem is increasing, but it's not a huge problem except along the border with Somalia.
0: You know, uh, this week you said just a few moments ago you're teaching God's plan through the ages, a very important course that you teach all across the world. And it actually looks at God's working in history in the past, the present, and the future. And we see Ethiopia as one of the countries mentioned, for example, in Ezekiel 38, Daniel chapter 11, as having a significant role in the future prophetic scenario. Talk to me about that a bit.
7: You're exactly right. And if you do a search on Ethiopia in the Bible, it's mentioned around 20 times. We first read about it in Genesis chapter 2 and as part of even the creation account. It's also mentioned in Second Kings and Esther and Job and Psalms and Isaiah and several other books, and then several times in Ezekiel, including the chapter 38 that you just mentioned. And the context of that passage is a war involving a coalition of Islamic nations that will come against Israel in the future, led by Gog of Magog, which many see as being Russia, and their goal will be the total destruction of Israel. And besides Magog, Ethiopia is listed along with seven other nations in this coalition that includes Persia, which would be modern-day Iran, and Libya. Now, prophecy teachers have different views concerning the timing of this Ezekiel 38-39 war and about the identity of God, but I think you and I agree on both of these things. Since the passage describes Israel as living in peace with unwalled villages at the time of the attack, I think the war must be after the rapture of the Church and after the the Antichrist affirms the treaty of Daniel nine that protects Israel from her Islamic enemies for the first and a half years of Daniel's seventieth week. So God can't be at the Antichrist, uh, and instead, uh, God and his armies will go against the Antichrist, and this will include Ethiopia. And we read that God Himself is going to destroy this coalition of armies, and I think that maybe the Antichrist may try to take credit for saving Israel. Uh, even though it was God, and this could be one way that the world will be deceived into thinking that he is the Savior of the world. So here we get, again, Ethiopia has a role.
0: David, that eschatology is right on target as far as I'm concerned, buddy, and I'm sure that's exactly what you're teaching in your course, God's Plan Through the Ages. So good for you to be in that country with your other ministry partners and doing what you're doing. We have to lift you in prayer, my dear friend, and you need to keep on keeping on what God's got you in ministry doing today, especially in countries like Ethiopia. And I'm so thrilled that you're there and can report for us and give us insight as to what's happening there. So be safe, have great ministry, and we'll talk again next week with another issue.
7: Thanks, Jimmy, and Lord willing, it will be from Uganda. So thanks again.
0: We're going to take a break, and when we come back, I'm going to open the Bible, take a look at the book with all the issues we've discussed with our broadcast partners. It's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today.
2: Christians in the Last Days. To order your copy of Jimmy D. Young's Revelation, a chronology, call us toll-free at 877-674-3298 or visit our website at prophecytoday.com.
0: It's time right now here on Prophecy Today for us to take a look at the book. Each weekend, we take a look at the Bible with the purpose of shedding light on current events and how these events seemingly are setting the stage, the prophetic scenario that is found in God's Word to be fulfilled. Now, we're going to do that today as well. And I will remind you about the great reports that we had from our broadcast partners from around the world, and I literally mean from around the world. We talked with Winky Madad, he was in Israel, and David James in Ethiopia. These reports are key for you and I to be able to understand where we are in God's plan for the end of time. If you have a moment, stay tuned and we'll tell you about what our broadcast partners had to say, and I'll give you my prophetic perspective. By the way, if you missed any of those reports, you can go to my website, prophecytoday.com, then go to Prophecy Today Radio Network. There we archive each and every one of these reports. You can listen to the one you may have missed or re-listen to one you would like to hear again. And do me a favor, tell a friend about these reports. Your friends need to understand what is happening in this world. These broadcast partners give us outstanding reports. Again, the location, prophecytoday.com, then go to Prophecy Today Radio Network. Now let me rehearse the events discussed and the prophetic perspective for each of these events. We talked with Colonel Bob McGinnis from the Pentagon, and we talked about Israel telling the United States to get ready to die that they have a secret plan and secret weapons they're going to use on the United States and then the little Satan, Israel. You know, Iran is indeed in Bible prophecy. There's no question that is the case. In Ezekiel 38.5, it mentions Persia. That was the biblical name for what we know today as Iran. Back in 1936, they changed their name, but they did not change their language. The Iranians still speak the Persian language today. So when you read Persia in Ezekiel 38.5, we're talking about Iran. By the way, Daniel chapter 11 and verse 44 talks about tidings out of the east. And in the context of that prophetic passage, that's discussing Iran as well, and all that we see happening in our world today, a preliminary, a precursor to what Bible prophecy will be when it is fulfilled. Then we talked with David Dolan. He had his Middle East News update for us, always key to hear what David has to say on that update. Again, the subject was Iran. And Iranians are saying that if America does attack the Iranians, Israel will be destroyed in half an hour. Now, that may be brachadoshai, but indeed, that's their plan. That's what they want to do. The goal, of course, is an alignment of nations that will move to destroy the Jewish state of Israel. The Bible tells us in the book of Psalm chapter 83 that they are going to come out of a council meeting, they're going to have had a discussion, and their final decision will be to wipe Israel off the face of the earth, that her name be forgotten forever. We can see that stage is set. It's about to come to fulfillment. Winky Madad gave us information about a number of items. One of them was the United States Ambassador David Friedman who said that he wants the temple built this year. What he actually said was, this year in Jerusalem. Normally that phrase is next year in Jerusalem, and it's referring to the rebuilding of the temple in the holy city. Well, the ambassador knows exactly what he was talking about. Remember, he's a religious Jew, an observant Jew, so he knows what he was saying, and his statement was, This year in Jerusalem, he's looking for that temple to be built, which the Bible tells us about. May I tell you, all of those who are preparing to build that temple have every preparation made. They could actually put that temple up in about six months. John Rood discussed another region that's key to understanding Bible prophecy. He looks at the European Union. And I confronted John with the statement that Israel has warned the European Union to stop Iran in their development of a nuclear weapon of mass destruction. When the United States pulled out of that Iranian nuclear agreement, that left basically the European Union holding the bag They're trying to discern exactly what they want to do. Remember, the European Union is at least the infrastructure for the revived Roman Empire that is foretold in Daniel chapter 7 and also Revelation chapter 17 and verse 12, where the ten horns there are the revived Roman Empire that will be given power by Antichrist very quickly after he confronts them and becomes their leader. We're seeing Bible prophecy in every region of the world getting ready to be fulfilled. Had the privilege of being able to talk with our oldest son, Jim Jr. He's in Romania. He's teaching teens in Romania that prophecy for the future is key to their understanding. One of the exciting things that I'm happy at, Jim and his two daughters, our granddaughters, Haley and Abby, are there helping him in his ministry as they're teaching young people how to take back Romania for Jesus Christ. The communists took it by using the young people and through teen camps, that's what Jim is there helping with life ministries to do the exact same thing. Pray for Jim and his daughters and the whole gang. And then David James and I were able to have our weekly conversation. David is in Ethiopia. He gave us a report on Ethiopia, the present condition, the missionary activities that are going on there, the Christian community that's there, but also what's been happening in recent days. A high ranking military leader was assassinated as Ethiopia prepares to be a part of that coalition of nations that will endeavor to wipe Israel off the face of the earth. All of these reports from our broadcast partners, tangible evidence that God's plan for the future is about to begin and come to fulfillment. And by the way, the next event is the rapture. And that rapture could actually happen any time, especially even today. And having said that, nothing left for me to say, except
2: let's keep looking up until... Thank you so much for joining us today. This is Jay Johnson inviting you to join us again next week for more of Prophecy Today.